All right, welcome to episode 210. Really? 210? 210 of the Radio Impound podcast for May 7th, 2020. Hope everybody's being safe out there. This is like week six or seven of the quarantine in Pennsylvania. Brutal. How's things down there in sunny Florida, Jason? Uh, Well, uh, beginning of May, they... um, kind of allowing people to kind of you know re-enter kind of the workforce and they didn't extend the stay at home stuff so uh the restaurants and stores seem to be you know they're kind of taking in some some rules about distance and how many people can be in either a restaurant or a store but um so is it like uh like here it's only you only could go to a restaurant and take out you can't well, before sit that before that it was but um <laughs> but now <clears throat> you can you can go in a restaurant they and sit down yeah but they, did they do any like uh, social distancing with the the tables and stuff yeah yeah they've been moving those uh apart you know only limiting to like it's only like they're only allowed like 25 percent capacity or something like that okay all right now see in pennsylvania we're going they're going to do it in phases so we have a yellow phase that's starting tomorrow for certain counties okay Okay. uh so they they do a yellow phase and then the green phase is where like everything pretty much eases up but uh the county I'm I'm in does not open up tomorrow because we got, uh, you know, we got some cases. Well, we got a lot of cases, and then the the county next to us has a shit ton of them, so we can't open up. So we're uh, we're probably another two weeks out until we get into the yellow phase. And in that yellow phase, the restaurants still can't be open. They can be open, but it's only takeout. So that's yeah, crazy, but you know, it's all for a good cause. You know, trying keep the spread down but yeah i just read an article about florida where they said florida was uh they expected florida to get ravaged with this covid19 and they really didn't Hmm. that was an interesting article so they were you know and and it looked bad there for a while because you had all the people down there spring break in and then on the beaches and stuff and like you said there there there's people just roaming around everywhere but apparently you guys didn't get hit as hard as they thought so I guess a uh, good job to you guys down there in Florida. Maybe all that stuff was overblown. The uh, people out on the beaches and stuff, but I have no idea. I mean, I don't, I haven't been to the beach, so I don't know what it looks like over there, but um, <clears throat> I didn't go. <laughs> he didn't go to spring break. How's uh? So I mean, RC racing down there still. Um, we are having a super cup this weekend. Oh, you are down mm-hmm. there. Where's this at? New Red Hobbies. Okay. It's in Ocala, and you know we're we're not running the super cup uh, this year. Uh, you know we turned it over to Dean Lloyd, who's running the super cup, and he talked to the track and and uh they were willing they they wanted to do it so um super cup is gonna gonna go down this weekend so so wait a minute you're not running the super cup j concepts isn't running the super cup this year yeah oh but you're the main sponsor 
Right. And, uh, but, uh, so you have somebody else doing all the work out there. Okay. Yeah. They do the entries. They, um, you know, been keeping track of the points and, uh, kind of doing some of the organizing of the events and, we're we're really just a sponsor uh this year so just kind of mixing it up a little bit giving people a different look look at it and uh yeah but yeah the race is going on and so do they have to do anything a certain capacity of amount of people that could be there and stuff or uh, i don't know oh (laughs) okay (laughs) all right Cause I know you couldn't, you wouldn't be able to do that in PA, but, uh, so, well, yeah. And that's, that's coming kind of <clears throat> going to come into a, you know, I, I don't know what the right word is, but into effect here shortly because, you know, the, the roar nationals was scheduled to happen there in Pennsylvania at the end of uh, June. Actually, we got a question in from, uh, now this guy, radio impound at gmail.com. Jason, he says with a Y though. Okay. <clears throat> okay. Hi guys, with L- LCRC canceling the Northeast Showdown, do you feel the uh, the eight scale nationals are definitely in jeopardy now? Uh, that's a good question. It is. I mean, it all depends. I, mm-hmm. It all depends on, uh, like you said, it, it depends on the 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 rules there uh, yeah. from Pennsylvania. You know, my my recommendation for people that have asked was I said if Pennsylvania allows it, I told them to run it. Mm-hmm. You know, I was like, hey, if it was up to me in Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. uh, you know, was okay uh, if they open back up or whatever the case may be. I say we run it. Now, like I said, we're doing them in phases. So we got a yellow phase coming up tomorrow, which doesn't include my county, and it does not include where LCRC's at. LCRC's okay. still in the red. Um, yeah, that's probably the answer right there. Then, as long as they're in that. Well, the, yeah, because yeah. because the next phase for us would be yellow. There's some counties going to yellow tomorrow. Um, we're ex- the rumor is like somewhere around May 18th for us here. Mm-hmm. In in my county, um, but they're going to look, but with each county, they're going to before they even go to yellow, they have to check how many cases are you know if there's a rise in cases and stuff, and then they decide if they can go in yellow, and then they have to <clears throat> wait a few more weeks to go into green. So it's not like yellow one week and green the next, you know. So yeah, it's going to be damn close. When is that race? Uh, June. It's the end of June. End of June. So that might be, you know, that's going to be close, I think. Because we're expected uh, May 18th. That's that's another week away. Or that's two weeks away. You know, so maybe it's every... The Nationals is... Um, let me get the date. <clears throat> the actual race is June 24th through the 28th. Okay. That's going to be close. I mean, if they're in the yellow phase, I'm not sure they could even do it then. Right. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Yeah. But, wow. Now, Jason, we had another question in here for you. This is mm-hmm. from Chris in New York. Uh, let me see here. Jason, there's discussion on the on the internet whether 80s and 90s drivers can race it today. Many. Oh, wait. Let me read this. Let me. 
butchered this up a little bit, buddy. Many think they are, many think they would not be able to handle today's competition and the size of today's tracks. Yet when I think about this, you, for example, come from the air, come from that era and seem for the most part, for the most part, adjusted pretty damn well. Wouldn't it be the same for these drivers from the 80s and 90s? Uh, I think so. Uh, you know, what's, what's funny about this is I've been watching, um, I have, I kind of have a, a, a plan here that I'm kind of working, but I got a, uh, I've been spending a lot of time recently watching these old DVDs that I have from Gene Husting and right. watching the old, the 87 nationals, the 88, the 89, 90, all the way through the nineties, <clears throat> you know, eighties and nineties. I've been watching. Mm-hmm. I've been doing the same on YouTube. Yeah, I, we, we were talking about that. And, the, you know, you, I'll send you a picture of Joel and you'll send me a picture of someone. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, I've been kind of going through that. And I think that there's some drivers that would definitely would translate pretty easily to this era. And, and it wouldn't be a problem because I think... I think what it comes down to is, you know, I don't think that these guys have better eye-hand coordination or anything like that than anybody would have in those days. There's no, um, you know, there's no exercises or there's no working out or training you can do um, for anything like that. So I think you either have it or you don't. And uh, I think that the level of the equipment is what's enabling these guys to push the limits uh, a little bit more with their driving. And I think these better drivers from those days, I think they would translate. Uh, I think there's, it would just be like it is now. There would be people that there's the guys that can trace anything at any time. They're competitive on any track or surface. And then I think there would be the guys that would do well on their style track, their surface, and, you know, then maybe struggle a little bit on others. So I think, I think we would just enter, you know, if you just dumped everybody into the other generation and they had uh, time to, um, you know, acclimate themselves, I, I, I think it would, wouldn't be a problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, like when you, when I go back and watch this stuff, um, you know, like every once in a while or, you know, kind of every weekend or for the past few weeks, I've been going live, uh, if I'm at the shop or something like that. And Mm -hmm. I always kind of like just throw something in the, the title, like, Hey, what's your best five drivers of all time? Or, you know what? I just kind of throw something out there just so there's something to talk about. But, um, and when I'm watching these these videos, and you know, I had I have a big list of drivers that I have ranked. Uh, I got like 40 drivers uh, on my phone that I've. Every time I think of a guy or I'm watching these movies, I'm like, God, he needs to be in there too. So I'm just I keep adding to this list of people, and I'm trying to figure out, you know, where they rank all time, which is, which is hard. But, you know, when you look at these lists, 
or this list I have, and I go back and watch these races. Uh, <clears throat> of of everything that I've watched, the person that's impressing me the most, Joel Johnson. No, hmm. um, is Cliff Lett. No, oh. and um, you know when I started racing, he was the hero. Um, he was my favorite driver when I started racing, but I didn't really know why back then, because I just kind of heard that he was really good. I went to the winter champs. He won truck and, and you know, and I, I loved stadium truck. He won that class and I was just like, Oh, this is my favorite driver. Right. Mm -hmm. And, but now when I go back and I'm watching all this stuff, the little, the, the era that he had where he was pretty much going all out racing, um, which is short. It's a short time span compared to the guys that are in it today. And I was really impressed at what the classes he was racing, who he was beating, and his level of competitiveness across the board. And like, if you look at like 87 through like 92, 93, like that window, mm -hmm. he raced everything. He raced, uh, off-road. Then he went and he raced on-road, um, road course on-road. He did oval. He did dirt oval. Jeez. And he won in everything. He won all every, he even raced eight scale on-road gas and he was winning in that. <laughs> wow. Um, so I was really impressed with that. I was like, man, I, you know, I have him. of course I have him on my list of top drivers, but it's probably one of the guys after watching these things that I was like, I think I might move him up hmm. because I was really impressed with all the classes he was doing and how he was racing the you know, you talk about Joel, who was awesome for sure, but I mean, he raced Joel in on road too, and he, I mean, he was he could beat Joel occasionally, and you know, and Joel was the man in the U.S. in the road course side of things, mm -hmm. and he was racing with him, you know, beat him on occasion. He's racing oval, he was winning in that dirt oval. He won a Roar Nationals in that, and then of course off road, he was really good in there. So I think he would translate because I think he would figure it out. The one thing that was interesting about him compared to a lot of these guys is he was actually kind of old already. Like if you actually look at the, like how old he was in comparison to the people he was racing, <clears throat> you know, he was older than Jay Halsey. Hmm. He was older than all these guys. And, um, and he was, you know, it's like, he'd be on a podium and it would be like, you know, he would be in his thirties and these other guys are like 20, you yeah. know, or, you know what I mean? Like oh. it's a big difference. So he, he almost, he almost like when he, it's almost like when he started racing, uh, heavily, he was in his peak and then he just ran through the peak and then that was it. He was done. Like he was just like, you know, I'm not going to race anymore. Or he was kind of tapering off. It was like, he never like built up and then like made the mains and, you know, went through the whole steps. Like he just like 
jumped in. He was really good at it. He won, and then it was just like, boom. He was like, okay, I'm pretty much done. <clears throat> so it's kind of interesting, but I, I think, you know, that that's um, something I've noticed going back. And, of, of course, Joel's one of those guys that he his his talents kind of went – went to the different classes also. Um, the, the thing that I noticed is 87 from 87 and under 1987 and under the cars were really bad yeah. and yeah, they're not very good. And the motors and batteries weren't very good. And there was a lot of limitations <clears throat> to what the guys could do because the cars just weren't very good. And um, yeah, it was just that that's what kind of sticks out to me is they look they look very toyish, um, which is funny to say because they're all, you know, technically, I guess they're all kind of toys. But but you know what I mean? Like, you know, there's the Tyco Turbo Hopper. <laughs> yeah. Toys, yeah. And then it's air like, hogs. You know, these. Yeah. These were like um, obviously better, but. You could tell that f- starting in about 88, the, the stuff really started to get a lot better. And then by 89 and, and 90, uh, the, the, the performance looked uh, much better. Mm-hmm. But before that, they were, they were definitely more toyish looking on the track. And, yeah, you're watching that 87 Worlds and they're going around the track and they're hopping everywhere and the back right. end's like going boom, boom, boom. <laughs> That's exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, is yeah. It's just like they look really toyish. Yeah. And uh, there was breakage real easy then. And, you know, battery problems, motor problems would take people out of competition. And uh, it's like you look at in that in that race where from the 87 worlds and you see, uh, I think Joel was, was – uh, Chris Moore was TQ. Chris Moore was TQ with the Kyosho. And somehow, somehow Jay Halsey qualified second. And then it was like Joel and um, they called him Kondo, but Katsasuri, Katsasuri Kondo. That sounds right. I think, I think his name was. But those were like the top four guys. And and, and like with the, the one main that I was watching, like – Jay Halsey hole shots. He's like in the lead and he's still got like the 85, uh, RC 10 kind of short front arms. He's still running the small wheels, like almost like very similar in tires to what he, he won with the first worlds, but that was no longer good enough. Like they had kind of like, they pretty much got to that race and ran a very similar car, that they had used two years earlier and Kyosho um, came much more prepared and ready to go with the car like Joel won with, um, which was more like a refined prototype car. It wasn't really the Ultima. No, uh, the, the Ultima that came out with looked like a toy and the, but the one they raced there was kind of like a hybrid between like, it almost looked like a cross between like an associated car and like what Losi would eventually make. Yeah. With like a graphite flat chassis. Trinity graphite chassis. (laughs) Trinity graphite chassis. That's what Joel said. 
Okay. He said the thing was completely stock for the most part, except the Trinity graphite chassis. Okay. <laughs> if you want to believe that. I mean, maybe it is. I don't think the shocks were. No, I, I don't. I don't think anything I mean, the, was stock on that, to be honest with you. We'll, I, we'll yeah, have to check with Joel on that rear. one. <laughs> maybe the front and rear arms and the transmission. I don't know. <laughs> but that that Ultima kit, when it came out, it had these tiny, it has like these tiny red shocks on it. Yeah. And, you know, the car he ran had Kyosho Golds on it. Right. I, I remember those red shocks that you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, they're they were horrible. <laughs> I'll say it. And you know what? And, and the car they ran, mm -hmm. they look a little bigger in this in this photo here. I mean, it's actually kind of a neat looking car, but it's very toyish. Like, I mean, the number one thing is. Uh, the the way they sold this this Ultima was it had a you know the the battery was transverse in you know it went it went like through the chassis because the chassis was like that tunnel was like a tunnel um, it almost looked like a U um, but you know the car Joel ran like it was totally like the battery was in line and um, Quite a bit different of a car. Yeah, and the Kyosho Gold shocks were the ones that were really, you know, you'd, people would buy those as aftermarket. Yeah. You know, I, I think I tried to buy some for something. It's kind of a neat car. Yeah, but Joel's like the whole body, the whole wing, everything's different. I mean, anyway, I mean, they came prepared. They had different tires than everybody else, which was kind of cool because that almost, you know, to me as a tire person was kind of neat. Um, so kind of cool to look at. I'm look. I, I Googled this and uh, somebody. Yeah, there's a uh, cool rebuild of Joel's car. Yeah, rcgroups.com. Somebody did a um, yeah rebuild. Mm -hmm. uh, there's some cool photos up there. I mean, you could. What's this? Oh, okay. I guess you could say like it's definitely has a different. It definitely has the other chassis, but the battery's in line. You know the 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 rear shock. It does have Kyosho Gold shocks. It's got you know. It's funny <laughs> is they put they held the battery and was zip ties. Yeah. <laughs> And it's like through the bottom of the chassis. <laughs> is this is this thing? I'm, is this the actual car that I'm looking at? There's two. They, there is a, the actual car. Okay. In here and the one that they remade. I like the picture of Joel, like in '87 and 2015, holding the car. Kind of cool. I don't see that. I must be on something different. Oh, yeah, here it is. Oh, that's cool. But yeah, um, cool to go back and watch that stuff. But yeah, that's one that's stuck out to me so far. Is, and, I, and I think these guys would definitely translate. All right. Well, the answer is that. 
Yeah, I mean, it took only it took thirty minutes, but you know. <laughs> what it kind of looks like is it kind of looks like Joel has the the car still, and then somebody built a, another version of it. Yeah, I tried to get that car off of him when we were working at Trinity. I was like, I, I I was up to like, I said, look, I'll give you like five hundred bucks for it. <laughs> He's like, oh, so uh, my uh, my first world championship car. I'll go <laughs> That's ahead. what he was like. Yeah. I'll go ahead and I'll go, I'll go ahead and sell it to you <laughs> at under undervalued. Besides. I could have swore he told me it was in pieces somewhere in box somewhere. But well, that's uh, kind of what this picture looks like. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I was like, I'll, I'll still buy it off you. He's like, Nah, it's all right. Get the work, Gotti. He's like, I know what you can do. Go back to work. Yeah. <laughs> but I tried. I thought it'd be really cool. Really cool get to have. Some, <laughs> get some cool. Um, you know, they ran some pretty cool looking rear tires and the front mm. tires are rib front tires, but the rears are pretty cool. They ran like this. They're like a square pin and which according to the video that I have, they said they had like five different compounds there that Kyosho brought all that stuff with them. Kyosho They're was like really uh, going all in here. Yeah, they went, they went all in. Well, and then, you know, like when I was talking to my buddy Brad about it, and he's like, well, he goes, it makes sense then because when you think about it, because the next two worlds associated built a special car for both races. <laughs> so he's like, you know, the fact that, you know, they saw Kyosho at this 87 race kind of went all in. Mm. And then he was like, okay, well, you know, our associated was like, all right, well, I guess we got to go all in like that. Yeah, and um, they've won. Have they won every one except for one since? All all of them except for two. Wait, who? What are you talking about? Can uh, uh, since this eighty seven worlds? Yeah, how many other cars have won the two wheel drive worlds? And um, you know, so Joel won it with the Kyosho in eighty seven here. But then associated one in, um, let me see, 89, 89, 91, 93, 95, Kinwald one in 97, uh, 99 associated one, 2001 Losi one, it was really 2002, then 2003 associated, 2005 associated, 2007 was uh, South Africa. Nobody went. Mm -hmm. 2011 associated. 2013 was Kyosho. That's when Tebow won. 15 was Spencer. And then uh, wait, so they Mayfield, won. They Mayfield won. won with the Kyokomo in 17, and then Spencer won again in 19. So all of um, of all the worlds in two-wheel drive, um, there's only been uh, – Associate has been defeated four times. Hmm. Two, two, two Kyosho, one Yokomo, 
in Kinwald. <clears throat> so f- oh. only four times Associate has been defeated in that class. And Kyosho's got the other two. Oh, I'm sorry. The Matt Francis had that other one in 2002. So that's two Kyosho, Kinwald, Matt Francis, and Mayfield. So five times. <clears throat> so so Losi has two, Kyosho has two, and Mayfield's got one with the Yokomo. So there's been 18 world championships, I think. If I got I'm counting right. If there's been 18 in the two-wheel drive class, uh, you got uh, Associates won 13 of them. Pretty impressive. So Kyosho 87 and then 2013. Right. Joel and Tebow. Yeah, pretty good company to be in. What's funny is when you look at this car, they had yellow wheels back then. That was the other thing I noticed watching this thing. Yellow was in? Well, I was watching it and I was like, it's like these cars have yellow wheels. And, you know, because you kind of thought like there was a time when maybe. Oh, wait a minute now. Joel's 87 pitcher. You don't have yellow wheels on that. On his four wheel, he did. Oh, no, he, he has a Monas two-wheel, too. He does? Oh, well, well wait I'm a sorry. minute now. In, 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 the re, in the remake car, they put yellow wheels on. But okay. in the real picture, he had white wheels. His four-wheel drive, he ran with yellow. Kind of a cool-looking car. Isn't, didn't you have this, the Optima Mid? I had the Optima Mid SE. Okay, so is that what this is? It's an Optima Mid. Yeah, I don't know the um, I don't know what the differences were between the two, the Optima Mid and the Mid SE. Yeah, me either. It's a little bit ahead of my time. Uh, Masami won that four wheel drive class in '87 with the Schumacher Cat XL. Yeah, you know what's funny is when I was watching the video, and there's only one of the mains, but <clears throat> in that one main, it actually looks like Joel had the better four wheel drive car too. He probably did. And he didn't end up winning that one, and he won the two-wheel. But in the two-wheel class, there was some people that looked um, like even Chris Moore and the condo. They actually looked just as fast, if not faster, than Joel in two-wheel drive. But in four-wheel drive, it looked like Joel could have actually did even better than he did. Damn. Can you imagine if Joel would have got two-wheel and four? Yeah, if he would have got both there, that would have been huge. Damn. I had to revise my list. But. And then that one in 93, I think it was, where Joel could have got Losey's first world title. So yeah. close. <clears throat> I watched that one the other day, too. And Ugh. there's some things that I think. It's a heartbreaker. Car Action did a, uh, you know, post-Worlds. Um, I remember I wish I had the magazine cause it was cool. Cause it had an insert with all, it was just all about the world and I had a cool yeah. interview in there with Joel Johnson <clears throat> after the worlds. And he was so close to winning that. I remember like, um, I just remember reading that and I was so like, cause that was back in the day where you had to wait for car action to come out to see who won the worlds. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like I remember getting the magazine I'm like alright alright let's find out who won you know please let Joel win I open it up and I'm like no <laughs> what happened 
And he was so close. So close. He was. <sighs> the guys that you talked to that were there. I'm still hurt really over think, it. They really think that he should have won. But when I look at it and watch the video today, I'm actually impressed with Ken Waldmore. In the, the main that I was watching the other day, I was like, man, it, it just, um, Kenwald, these other guys found a lot of speed. Um, and then just having, being on the same track at the same time, um, and then TQing a race, I'm sure there's a little bit of nervousness when you have to um, take off with that one, but these guys were not cutting him any slack in that race. Like they're all over him. <clears throat> and, and this one main that's on there and, and you can see that, um, Kinwald was not giving anything up at that point. You know, the, the main that's, uh, you know, mm-hmm. that I was watching, um, Kinwald, Kinwald ran well. And he started eighth. He started eighth in that Kenwald. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Oh, that so that's what I was saying is they found speed because one of the things they did is uh, Kenwald put a hydro drive on for the last round of qualifying. Okay. And then that's when he had a good run, made the main, and and then the rest of the associated guys put a hydro drive on too. Isn't that something? They put a low C hydro drive on. That's crazy, isn't it? And well, it, it is, but they actually made one for the car. Losi made a conversion. You could buy the, the hydro drive in a package, and it came with the parts, the dust cover, the top shaft to bolt it right into an RC10. Yeah. So you didn't have to like you know um, do anything special like you could just bolt it right in right and but, that's what that's what Kidmold did he bolted it right in he <laughs> qualified well so it, and so losi helped the them win in, in a way <laughs> yeah they did <laughs> wow you think about that it's crazy not long it? after that race we had a truck nationals in in uh michigan and it was the same thing there where the track was kind of bumpy and loamy. And I remember everyone was like, oh, you got to have a hydro drive. So I got a hydro drive and I put it on my truck there. And I was like, I don't really think it helped. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I right. remember I, I, I thought it was going to be like the game changer. You know, I, mm-hmm. I got it. I put it on because, you know, the fast guys were using it and. You know, I, I put it on there and ha- had because uh, it was a little different to adjust because you had the friction slipper and then the hydro work together. And I just remember running, running it. And I was like, I didn't get any faster or easier to drive or anything. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm a little. I was never all I was never very head over heels for the hydro drive personally. Okay. I always felt by the time you got the slipper, the friction slipper tight enough mm-hmm. to actually drive the car the way you were normally would drive it, then the hydro drive didn't work right anymore. 
like I didn't, it was supposed to like take up shock and bumps and this and that, which was a great, I think it has some great promise and, but I don't know. It, it, I, in my experience definitely wasn't game changing. I'll tell you that. So, um, I had Chili send me uh, the Joel Johnson interview from 93 uh, that was in that okay. insert. Okay. And uh, Joel arrived to, arrived at the track. This was uh, 93 Worlds in, uh, how do you pronounce this? Basildon, England? Basildon? Yeah, I, I've always called it Basildon. Basildon, England, whatever. Um, he arrived at the track. Joel gets there. And... Uh, his quote here is, uh, he looked at the track and, and uh, what the hell's going on over there? Sorry, um, that was my straw. <laughs> uh, at first glance, at first glance at the track, it looked great. Another world's track that as hard as a rock and only has two jumps. Yep. When I looked at the track again, I felt that I might have a chance after all. It looked a little like the 87 world's track. Which it didn't. It was big, though. It was a lot bigger than that 87 track. Pretty much but the yeah, same surface. Condition. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the other thing was there is, you know, this was a day when the Losi guys ran the Losi tires. The Associated guys were running Proline tires. And, <clears throat> and it was like you couldn't get the other guys' tires. So... Um, you know, and Proline had the, the, they were stubbies was the name of the rear tire. And then the wide fives were the name of the front tire that they ran. But, and then the Losi guys had gold compound, if Mar studs in the back. And then, and then they just ran regular Losi rib front tires. And, so you never really know the performance difference of the tires either. Um, you know, like you don't really, you know, it's really kind of hard to say if anybody had a, a tire advantage because it was really like nobody ran each other tires. Right. You know, today we'd come back from a race like that and people would just say, Oh, one tire was better than the other. That was the whole, you know, that would, that was the reasoning for everything, or it is the reasoning for everything these days. But I've ran these tires, you know, uh, afterwards and later. And those low C tires were really good. Those Ifmar stud rears, um, that was a really good tire. And, and even the, the track, um, see the track conditions hold on i'm kind of looking uh it rained before one of the mains there 93 here yeah yep. and kinwald went to he put back on his uh Losi front tires when it rained and even though they you know they said you know, he ran a certain tire the whole time, but that's not really actually the case. He, when it was rained, he put on low C front tires and, 
So it went pretty good. <clears throat> Joel says, as the buzzer sounded for the start of the first final, I got a good jump on the field and led for the first few laps. While I was driving, I noticed that the track had deteriorated badly and that driving fast without a mistake was difficult. Around two minutes down, I made an error, and this allowed Brian Kinwald to take the lead. Um, two laps from the end, at the top of the hill, I made a pass that put me back in lead, and I went on to win the first main. Mm -hmm. So Joel takes the first. Yeah. Second main, I started in the same way as the first, except that because of the rain, the track was wet. Again, I made a mistake. Kinwald got by. We finished just seconds apart. We were tied, and I would, and it would all come down to the last main. I like reading this. I was re yeah. back to, back in '93. I was reading this, like hoping I, you know, I, I went Here's right to and and and. and. <laughs> <laughs> at the beginning of the last main, and this I was reading in '93. I'm like, at the beginning of the last main, I got a fairly good jump on the field. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this time I was determined to run a perfect race, but sure enough, and I was like, oh, in the middle section of the track, a pothole grabbed one of my front tires and rolled my car. And Brian was there to capitalize. The rest is history. Looking back at this race, it was tough for me because I'm not used to giving up the lead once I've gained it. It seems as though it just wasn't my turn this year. It was great being TQ, but I sure would have liked to brought home another world championships, another world championship for the USA, Trinity and me, and especially wanted to give Losi their first world championship. Yeah, heartbreaker. I think the one that you that I was watching is the second main. That's on. Uh you know that that's on the dvd i have i think the mm -hmm. second main is the one that i was watching and when you actually read the you know you read what joel's saying there it i'm not gonna say that i mean okay <laughs> it sounds a lot like what i was saying which is brian gained a lot of speed by the time the mains came around and things got a little a much closer because you can see that you know, obviously Joel was leading all three mains and gave it up at one time or another. And Kinwald was the guy that was, he was racing the entire time, all three mains. Mm. So it's like Kinwald came from eighth and was racing with him in all three mains. So it's pretty impressive <clears throat> for both guys, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, Joel went on to say, congratulations to Brian on a job well done. Let's try it on pavement sometime. <laughs> you know, uh, he's probably right. Well, there was our breakdown of the 93 world. <laughs> 87, 93. Yeah, we were, we were all in there. All in there. I love watching that stuff, though. It is. It's very cool to watch. Yeah. <clears throat> There's a lot to learn by watching that stuff. That's kind of why I'm watching it. Cause I got another plan. I'm working here. I was going to do a kind of a video about my, my first world's experience. And so <clears throat> kind of going back and watching a lot of these things that led up to, uh, 
that event that I, my first worlds and, um, so kind of watching a lot of the different things. Getting, you know, making sure I got some things together, <clears throat> got my story. Yeah. My story straight. Uh, Brian Kinwald, 93 worlds. They asked him how he liked the track. I saw the track at warm up at the warm up race and didn't like it much. The straightaway was super long and it was a horsepower track. When I showed up for the worlds, they changed the track. There was a jump in the straight and it was shorter, more of a driver's track. I liked the, I liked the hard pack surface because it had a lot of bite, but it was really rough and I don't do well on rough outdoor tracks. <laughs> Except when you win this one. <laughs> Who was your yeah, toughest competitors? Uh, Kenwald says, before the race, I thought that Masami would win two-wheel drive. At dinner before the race, Greg Hodap told me that I would win. After qualifying, everybody in the main was a threat, but Joel and Scott Brown were probably the toughest. Yeah. I tried to get into that race. I resumed in oh. and uh, didn't make it. Oh, damn. Well, things could have been a lot different. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, I don't think the <laughs> the final results. I would have loved to have been at this race, man. I I, I yeah. really wanted to go. I resumed in, but I didn't get accepted through Roar. And I, I but I felt like I still should have been there. Like I felt like I was fast enough to to be in the worlds at that point and. And I was really because mm. when they came back, I was racing with all these same guys that were in the. What what you have to do back then to create the resume? What you have to put down and stuff? Your your results, uh, you know, At your the, best results, you know, how you kind of desire to 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 race for Team USA or Roar in the worlds, and uh, and that your you know what your results were up to that point, and what kind of gave you the right to, to, to make it. Okay. So did you make it up all nice and neat and stuff? Typed it out? Well, I honestly think that my mom typed it for me, Oh, but yeah. that's what I mean though. You made a real nice packet up and then send it in. Right. Is that what you do? Yep. Yeah, that's okay. right. And then you're kind of waiting for a letter, you know, to somebody to, you know, yeah, there's no emails. So, now they don't they don't do that anymore, do they? Yeah, you can you have to resume in. Oh, okay. If but there's a lot of spots. What what ends up happening, and I don't know what the case was in this day, but what what happens in uh, today is there's really forty spots that get in get into the main at the worlds. Uh, so for Roar, you the nationals that's held the year before the worlds actually happens is the qualifying year. And, uh, usually the top, uh, 30 to 40 drivers at the Roar nationals qualify for the worlds, but not everybody goes, you know, not all 40 of those guys, you know, yeah. can all make it to the worlds. So, uh, then there's some spots that are become available <clears throat> and of those spots, you can resume in to take over those spots. Okay. I didn't know that. And that's, 
Yeah. And that's what I was trying to do. Like, you know, there was a good group of guys qualified from the USA. Um, but you know, not everybody went. Not a reason why I I thought they did. Like, I I thought I saw where they were just accepting entry fee money to go to some of these worlds. So that's why. No, you still have to go through the whole uh, process. Usually that, that, that resume process and, you know, it is easier to go now than it was back then because there are more spots available. But yeah, that's how I tried to get into this race. I kind of felt like I had only, and I had only been racing for a little over two years at that point, but I was still like, <laughs> yeah, I, I think I should be in this race. And I was trying to do it because I knew, I had watched a bunch of worlds on videos that those the same videos from Gene Husting, mm-hmm. but they were v- VHS. Then I was watching those and I was like, I got to get to one of these things. This would be great. Um, How long did it take back uh, till, till you heard back from them? I don't even know. I I think, you know, they got to send they had to send you a letter. So you were sitting on pins and needles the whole time waiting for that letter to come through and you opened it up and denied. Yeah. Yeah. I just get, just got denied and yeah, it was kind of disappointing. Did it motivate you at all? Oh yeah. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I'm like, man, I'm going to have to take it up a notch here and make sure you know, make sure the next time this comes around that it's not even a question. And, and you got to one in when? 95. So the so, next one. So the next one. Oh, wow. That was the last lap. Wait, what are you watching? Well, I found the all three mains from this, this world. Yeah. Oh, I can't wait to go and watch that again. It's a heartbreaker, <laughs> but I'm always like, wait, maybe something will happen different here. Maybe it's different. <laughs> maybe Joel wins this one. Yeah, so for the first Our, main, yeah, the first eight main was Joel Johnson, Brian Kinwald, Scott Brown, Masami. Uh, yeah, which what I what I saw in that first main is basically what I'm saying is uh, Joel was was in the lead, but Kinwald was in second, and he didn't really he he ran well, he ran very well, and. Joel did make the mistake, just like he said in the article. Kinwall took the lead. He kind of forced the pass back uh, for Brian. You know, he didn't really. It's not like he just. It was. It wasn't like perfectly clean. You know, they rubbed, but it wasn't like a takeout. Mm. Um, and he got back in the lead, and then it was like Kinwall made a made a run at him at the end of the race, the first main, and tried to jump past him on that center jump, but. Hit the car just completely jumped like crap and crashed, but that was the last lap. So, kind of, kind of a good run. Not kind of a good run, very good run. But you can see that the track was bumpier. It was tougher, just as Joel described in that that letter. But um, now they weren't giving up much anymore. You know, Kinwald had kind of <clears throat> he basically the the pace. You know, Mayfield likes to say. Hey, the pace was set. You know, he's like, you know, when you're in these mains, he's like, once the pace is set, 
you don't have any choice but to either match it or you just drop back. <laughs> yeah. So he's like, so you got to, uh, you got to either, you know, get up to that pace or, or you're nothing. You're not going to be competitive. <clears throat> like this, this video has like a lot of the different mains in here, like the J main, the K main and all this stuff. And I mean, when I'm watching this, I'm like, it, you know, it's like pisses me off. Cause I'm like, I, I would have beat all these guys. <laughs> yeah, I understand why they showed those mains. I was like, why are they showing these mains? No, it's, it's a, a nice, complete video. If you were here, yeah. it'd be great. Like, now if I could have watched this and I was at this race, I'd be like, cool, I could see my main. Yeah, that's true. But, yeah, I mean. I, I'd be down in the Z main. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. Yeah, not the world, so who cares? Yeah, that's, that's where I would have been at is, you know, I'd have been like, hey, I'm here. I'm sure I wouldn't have been that laid back. That's for sure. I'd have been like, Joel, you remember the 87 worlds? That was awesome. <laughs> there you have it. Our breakdown of the 87 to 93 worlds. And we, you know what? Oh, I'm going to, I'm contacting Joel. We're getting him on here and talk about those two worlds. <laughs> <laughs> We're getting them on. That's it. it it's been a me. long time since he's been on the show. So we yeah, we'll get them on and break down these worlds for us. Well, what I was going to say, mm -hmm. let, let, let's call Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm going to get on another tangent. All right. Let's you want to finish? You can save that for the end if you want. Okay. All right. Thanks. So who do we have on the show, Jason? Jamie Tenney's from uh, Trackside Hobbies and Raceway in uh, Brookfield, Wisconsin. And this is one of your favorite tracks? Yeah, for sure. A lot of uh, a lot of people's favorite track. And uh, we're, we're supposed to say hello from Kirby Hand. I guess those two were competitors back in the day. Yeah, you know, Jamie was whooping up on them, too. Oh, oh, just kidding. <laughs> we know Kirby is the man in Oval. Incoming text message in three, two, one. <laughs> 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 it just says bs <laughs> <laughs> all right let's dial him up here hello jamie yeah Gotti jr here with jason rona how you doing i'm doing good how are you great great thanks for uh being on the show appreciate it no thanks for having me yeah we're supposed to say hello from kirby hand is Kirby with you guys or not? No, of course not. He uh, he couldn't be here tonight, but uh, he said definitely make sure you tell Jamie I said hi. Yeah, I haven't seen Kirby for a few years. I seen him at the uh, Open Wheel Prize four or five years ago. Oh, down the in last time I seen him. Oh, okay, all right. FBA, yeah, bumps and jumps. Yeah, all right, for sure. Now, uh, now, Jason, now uh, you could jump in there and say hi too. <laughs> oh, oh, hi, Jamie. <laughs> hi, Jason. How are you? Good. <laughs> Yeah, we're like, <laughs> we had to get the part in there by from Kirby. You know, he he uh, he wanted to make sure that he stood out. Now, how often did you uh, whoop up on Kirby Hand there? Uh, I didn't get to race against Kirby. Uh, he ran up here at the Triclone in two thousand four for the paved oval mats. Oh, okay. And his brother and his dad were up there, and that's where we began. You know, uh, our little you. relationship at that point. Uh, I thought you guys raced against each other and stuff, so. 
No, Good not deal. too often, for sure. So uh, how, how are things going right now, Jamie? I know we're in a little bit of a, a holding pattern with racing and what's what's going on, on at the track there at track side. Um, well, we're definitely in the holding pattern for sure right now. Um, you know, we got completely shut down a few, uh, it's got to be almost a month ago now. Mm. Uh, we started out where we could have the 10 people and we were booking uh, practice sessions with, you know, groups of guys and everybody was doing that. But when they totally shut us down, that was it. So, um, you know, we've been doing some curbside stuff. We definitely cut our hours We're only there a couple days a week, but we're, uh, we're still doing stuff though, for sure. I mean, Gregory's there right now. We're putting a new track layout in, in the indoor. And then, uh, our A scale track too is ready for a new outdoor layout. So we got that all piled up and ready to go. Are, are you guys expected to reopen soon? The state? Not till it's the end of the month. End of the month. Okay. All right. Yep. So, yeah. So you're pretty much going to have all new tracks and everything's going to be ready to go with the anticipation of opening back up, huh? Yeah, and I think, you know, our state's going to do a soft opening from what you read. And, you know, that's the only problem with this stuff. It's so vague right now. You don't know, honestly, what's going on. Yeah. Um, so the indoor track, I'm expecting they're going to open up and they're going to let us have like 10 people inside. Mm. You know, our governor has like a three-step process they want to try to do. So we'll do soft opening on the indoor. I think, you know, we're going to start to focus on the outdoor stuff a little bit because I think it's going to be a little bit more flexible for us. We might be able to have more people out there. Well, that's but good. That's, good to know. That's where we're at. <laughs> so to completely, so, you know, we wanted to kind of touch base on that, but we'll get back there, but to kind of completely rewind back and we, and we got a bunch of questions too. So, uh, the questions seem to be really popular, huh? Gotti. Yeah. Big time. Got a lot of got a lot of action there. Um, I, yeah, so uh, I can't wait. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you got a bunch of buddies. I guess we'll say right for sure. Yeah. Uh, so starting from uh, the beginning uh, of, of RC, where where'd you get going in RC and and uh, what um, what classes were you did you start in? I mean, the beginning for me was um, pretty much like every young kid. Probably I uh, see a. Uh, neighbor boy with a car running around in the street and you go from there. Um, we basically started, I started in, oh boy, probably in, uh, 85. Okay. Um, yeah. Me and a bunch of buddies got cars and we raced down the road at a neighbor's driveway. That was an oval driveway. Okay. You know, <clears throat> so is it, um, was it a big driveway or you think it was like, you just made the most of it or what was the, it was a big, pretty good size. You know, everything's bigger when you're 12 and 13 years old. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, it was fun. You know, we all had, all had cars, you know, uh, I had a Hornet. That was the first car I had. Yeah. Um, my other buddy, Chris had a grasshopper and then Brian was, uh, he was a little better off than most of us. And he forgot, he got the first gold tub when they came out. Oh, nice. So that's, you know, at that point, everybody was jealous. Yeah. 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 So, um, so what kind of, you know, the, to kind of stick with it, you know, you, um, what allowed you to kind of stay with it for so long? And, you know, did you move along through the different classes through the years or you've been mostly off-road and oval or what, what classes have you been, did you, did um, you run it with? It's kind of progressed from there. Um, you know, in Wisconsin, obviously it's only summer 
three months of the year or four months of the year. Um, and then we found the track and, uh, started racing over there, you know, the eighties, nineties, everything in the Midwest was oval racing. Okay. Um, so, uh, in 80, oh boy, I want to say 86 or 87 started racing at trackside. So is that when it opened then? Uh, trackside started in 1984 behind a bike shop. Uh, the owner's name was Joel Gish. Okay. He brought some cars back from California. I think they're cock scorpions probably. Yeah. Um, had a little track behind a, you know, BMX, BMX shop. And, um, eventually they moved to in 85, they moved to a strip mall and had a carpet oval. And that's pretty much where we started racing. You know, at that time it was, uh, I think I had a Kyosho Ultima and you bolted oh. some foam tires on it and, you're racing on the oval. <clears throat> yeah, I didn't. I don't know if I really realized that the, the name Trackside had been around that long. Uh, yeah, this is our thirty boy, thirty fifth year. Wow, that's impressive. Yeah, um, you know, Scotty took it over. I mean, it moved from the location that it was at in '88, um, and then. Uh, had a carpet oval and then had a dirt oval. And eventually I worked there when, uh, before Scotty even owned it, I was a kid. My grandma used to drive me there. And, uh, uh eventually we tore the carpet oval and just made a big dirt oval. Okay. So, so by 89. So was your experience then at that point, was it, was it more, <clears throat> more an oval or did you, were you getting some off-road into I'll be honest, I probably didn't even watch an off-road car go around until 2001. So you were just like, I'm just oval and that's it, huh? Yeah, I raced a lot of dirt oval and then, uh, you know, in the 2000s, uh, a lot of pan car. Um, we had a huge track out here in Wisconsin. It was called the Midwest Triclone, big asphalt bank track. Um, went to Florida a couple times, did Whipple World. Mm-hmm. Um, did a lot of, you know, pan car racing in the, you know, the Trinity pan car days. Um, Scotty, where are you from? Pennsylvania. You're in Pennsylvania. Yep. Went to F- New 50- Jersey, mega track in New Jersey. Oh, oh uh, yeah. Called, I think it's the you know, last time I checked, it was like track 70 or something like that. I don't know if it's still there though. Yeah. I don't know what they're calling it now, but, um, oh yeah. I've been to mega track back in the day. Uh, my first race there was the Trinity <laughs> Speedworks race. Uh, wasn't it called the sportsman's cup sports, uh, Speedworks sportsman cup. Right. Yep, I was there. Yeah, 1990, I think. Something like that. Oh, uh, that sounds about right. That's yeah. when, like, TRC had their big trailer there and all that stuff. Oh, yeah, it was Ernie awesome. Ernie was there. And, Joel Johnson. Yep. yep, for sure. I think uh, Dose, uh, not Dose, uh, Andy Dobson even still raced them. Mm, that's right. Yeah, I, m- I remember Andy Dobson. Oh. That's a, that's, a good, uh, that's a good little lineup there that you guys have that uh, kind of in common. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, I was kind of doing a little creeping on Gotti and make see if we cross paths anywhere. At one oh time. God, no. And uh, I mean, now it's uh, now we did a little bit. That's about it, though. So. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> what was is that? When he won the P Main, I was just gonna say that I was in the P Main and I won the thing after uh, Joel Johnson rebuilt my links to. Uh, he rebuilt the back end for me and uh, got the diff worked out and uh, 
went out there and it was awesome. You know, um, we were talking, we talk about this occasionally, but Jamie, the, uh, whippoorwill, it just seemed like that guy was really ahead of his time. Bob Hosh, uh, his name was. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Um, you know, the way he would do those races and I know Paul Wynn talks about it all the time because he, um, you know, he raced at Whippoorwill a bunch and, you know, he's like got the guy that parachuted in. He had like Coca-Cola as a sponsor. I mean, he had like a lot of things that people were after today. He had that in the 80s. And yeah, for sure. And Paul's I was talking about how like just ahead of the time, you know, said the guy was a little weird and he had his rules, but he um, really was ahead of his time in a lot of different uh, respects and the way he approached it. I know there's that, the video we were watching one day <clears throat> where he's talking to Ernie Perbetti and would not call it a motor. It was an engine <laughs> and it, in the, the battery, it was not a battery. It was a fuel cell. <clears throat> so it's like, he's talking to Ernie about a new motor and he's like, so talk to us about this new engine. <laughs> it's like you know you're you know he he was just he was into it and he was gonna make that connection uh with with the real racing yeah and he did i mean he had, he had the shirts he had the you know the banners the flags and you know the parade of cars and it was uh it was definitely cool to go to for sure especially when you're younger yeah and i mean when you see it you're just like man this is this has really been a it really is amazing what he was able to do and and um i, I went and watched one of the the whippoorwill races i'd say it was probably probably around 91 or 92 uh, when i was getting into it and heard the guys were going to be out there i was like yeah let's go check out the the u.s oval masters i think it was called yep correct <clears throat> but yeah cool stuff really really cool to see fun fun race but uh so getting back into your your race in a little bit so you get through the 90s uh did you ever do any touring car on road or just mostly oval? I, I dabbled a little bit in the touring car especially uh well in 2001 um you know between uh let's say 90 the 95 to 2000 era is pretty much when I had the kids and you go through that stage of life where you just don't have the money and the time to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, when Scotty bought the original, uh, bought track side in, oh boy, I want to say 93. Um, okay. he kind of, you know, he was at the facility for a little bit, then he moved and, uh, opened a new facility and did this. That's when touring cars started to take off. And at that time I was kind of absent from the whole, you know, track side thing. I still did a little bit of racing in uh, the local oval track, but I just had other things in life going on. And then, uh, in 2001, uh, track side had to move again. And it's the current location that we're at now. Uh, I know a bunch of the guys that were still racing, they called me and said, you know, Scotty needs help for he's building this track and we need some construction done. And after 2001, I never left again. So, so you, you were just there helping all the time, right? I helped and yeah, we did the, you know, the on-road layouts and did that stuff and helped with the off-road a little bit. Not as much, uh, off-road side was usually like Chad do had a big part doing in that. 
all the time in the back room, and then uh, Josh Holenstein, uh, a couple other guys. Um, I still did a little oval racing, you know, in the 2000s, and uh, but that helped me focus a little bit on helping helping that track too. So, so when um, there was a lot, you know, Scotty had a lot of uh, large races there throughout the years, like the, you know, he had a lot of touring car stuff. I think you guys had like a Novak event or something. Yep, um, Novak race was always very large, and. Uh, Go, don't talk a little bit about some of those races that you might remember what he had back in the kind of on-road days and maybe you guys had some oval stuff or, you know, kind of before, uh, you know, where we're at today with the associated race. Oh, boy. Um, I have to think about this a little bit. Scotty would not remember more than I would, honestly. Um, I mean, it was, touring car was big, you know, weekly racing on a, on a Sunday at trackside with touring car was 100 cars. You know, and then, you know, the Novak race, everybody came to the Novak race, you know, Barry Baker, you know, obviously Paul Lemieux, mm-hmm. uh, Chris Tosselini was a big on-road racer back then. Yeah. Um, trying to think who else, uh, Dumas, uh, Todd Hodge, Brian Kenwald, all yep. those guys came, uh, for the Novak race. Um, and, and so the way that it was set up then is where the off-road track is now, that was that, the carpet track. That was the carpet track. And then Correct. was the, the, the track in the back, that's where the dirt was? That was the off-road track. Yep. Okay. Okay. So at what point did uh, the things kind of flip-flop there and kind of change it around? Um, I think, you know, touring car got, I don't know if I want to say it burnt out. It maybe got a little bit more expensive and it just started to, to fizzle a little bit. Mm-hmm. I think it started to developed so fast in touring car stuff that if people were done buying a new car every year or, you know, the new tire of the week and it just started the weekly stuff started to die when we had, you know, you have 25 guys on the biggest part of the facility and the backtrack where it's small back there where the oval is now you had 85 or 90 guys running off road. Mm-hmm. So, you know, at that point, um, we didn't have to make a decision. We had to talk Scotty and do it to say, you know, I think we got to move the dirt. Right. Scotty was such a passionate on-road racer. You know, Scotty's passionate about racing period, mm-hmm. but it was just a big, a big deal to make that jump and tell the on-road guys that we're not doing on-road anymore. Mm-hmm. So, um, and that's, you know, the time when the, the dirt got moved over. And I think that was, I'm going to be guessing is probably 10 to, oh man, 10 to 11 years ago now. Okay. I mean, the last circle showdown we had on the back track, we actually had so many people there. We had to pit on the carpet track. So the, the first short course showdown was on the, was on the back track then? Correct. Okay. Yeah, I didn't know that. I didn't go to that one. Uh, I think Paul Wynn went, but I didn't realize that. Uh, so uh, then, then you get then they made the change and went move the move the tracks around. Uh. Yep. Correct. Yeah. I mean, the truck was short on was so big at that time. I mean, we had to fit on the carpet track, and it was actually kind of cool. Uh, I mean, Traxxas were really involved in it at the beginning, and we had the easy ups up inside the building and stuff. And um, but I think that was you know 
that's what set the set the motion to move to move to off road on the big side of the track. So then off road was kind of building again, right? It was kind of in a peak, or not a peak, but it was kind of building back up, and the off road uh, kind of again became the on the you guys on the bigger track and became more popular. Yeah, for us it did. I mean, like I said at the end of the on road stuff, the back track was starting to be more popular, and we had a lot more people back there. You know, eighty. 90 guys so the biggest part was you know 25 guys and it started to fade and you could see it but mm-hmm. the off-road was definitely gaining momentum at that time and before we moved to that facility we didn't really have an off-road track you know that he had an outdoor one that they kind of played around on and stuff you know in the back behind the location at track side but moving into the location we're at now they had the opportunity to do a nice off-road track that went from there so when did uh if you remember when the um the start of like the spectrum event when did that start oh boy um i honestly don't know jason must have been look it up yeah it must have been what uh well i know i remember when uh dustin evans debuted what the the 22 at one of them right that's, um, and that, I, that must have been around 2011-ish. So, uh, I would say, if not a little bit earlier than that, maybe 2010. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Because Dustin Evans and Ryan and all them guys did run on the back track. Okay. You know, photo. Um, at that time, I believe it was Spectrum Race, too. So, okay. About 11 years ago. If Scotty was on, he would correct me, but he's he's not. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And <laughs> it's getting into the the spectrum race now. That became uh, definitely one of the largest races in the whole you know U.S. I mean, you guys were really that was a that was a big deal. Uh, you're getting the, the you know a good team support uh, coming in for that uh, kind of the the short course showdown kind of blended in there a little bit. Uh, for a few years, but what'd you think of the, um, you know, as that spectrum race was kind of progressing, did, did you participate in, you know, a few of the early ones or did, did you get in there later or what, 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 uh, what was your time? Um, me personally, I just, uh, I didn't race a lot of them. The spectrum races, I more did, you know, the tech and helped and prepared and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I did a lot of tech for all the, you know, the Novak races for the on-road stuff. Um, I pretty much just helped out a lot more than I got to race. Okay. So, you know, as the race progressed and stuff and, you know, eventually, um, started getting bigger and bigger and, you know, more people were attending and then in the later years now it's, it's switched over associated with taking over the race. It's definitely growing in popularity for sure. Yeah. I mean, it even made you come. (laughs) That's right. Yeah, we had a great, uh, great race there a couple of years ago, and it seems like it's one of those events. You know, um, it's got a little bit of the the the, the Reedy Race ish um, feel in terms of you know people don't want to miss it. They always say, "Hey, this is this is a is one of the races they put on their radar," and and they always try to make it if they can. I mean, do you get that feeling when you're doing? 
Um, yeah, I mean, it fills up fast. People want to come, you know, and people that usually come, they come back, they enjoy it. You know, it's, you know, we're fortunate. Everybody has a good time there. Everybody wants to come back. Yeah. So it's, it's gotten to the point now where it, you know, in the last couple of years, it fills up fast. So, um, it's a good thing. You know, sometimes it's a bad thing though, too. You know, some people don't get in, you know, they, some people don't live by their computer and get to watch when the registration opens up. Yeah. So it usually always works out in the end because there's always people that can't make it or something comes up and then we can fill those spots. What's, um, you know, you guys always have a really nice looking track, especially for that race. What's, what's the preparation like, uh, do you guys do for something like that? What, you know, how long does it take you and what, what kind of effort is it like to, to kind of, um, to make it look the way it does when you guys start that, that race? Um, I mean, it takes a little bit more effort for us. I mean, typically on a normal rebuild at track side for just like a, you know, you're going to change it in the middle of October, we'll say, uh, we, we race on Friday night. And after that, after Friday night racing, Pretty much everybody comes out of the pits, holds the pipes. You know, we rototill it up um, on Friday night. Come in on Saturday, move the dirt around, build the jumps. Sunday we pack. Monday we're laying pipe down. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for the associated race, we obviously we take a little bit more time. We take that uh, the trying to think. Like when you come in, usually all the people come in, everything is painted up and everything like that. That doesn't happen until the beginning of the week before the associated race. Um, we always put the layout in a week before and people do get to run on it. Um, that's the, for our track, that's the best thing. The track needs to be run on because the track, you know, if you put a fresh layout in and no one runs on it, cars are going to be flipping off the track. Um, it's just, it's not good. So it needs to be run on it. But we run the Saturday before the associated race. We always do. Mm-hmm. And, and what that does, it gives us an opportunity too to to modify the jumps if need be. You know, you do your layout. If you don't get to run on it, the triple doesn't work like you want it to, or you know, the stock buggy can't make this section. But that gives us a little bit of an opportunity to to modify the track too and see where we need to fix things. And the end result, it makes it better for the associated race because you know the landers are good and everything works out good. So uh, kind of moving in, um, you know, recently you've been doing, you know, it seems like you've been getting around doing a f- couple other events. You know, I've seen you around uh, quite a bit last couple of years. You've been doing the the Chili Bowl. You know, we see each other over there and you usually bring some locals with you, too. And what's it like kind of uh, hitting some of these events where maybe you don't have to worry about it being your event and just kind of being involved on a different level? Um, Chili Bowl, I, I go to every year. I mean, since it started, I think I missed one year in there. Just, uh, the first year I bought track side, I couldn't go because I had no one to run track side. So, um, I enjoy it. I mean, it's, it's a week away and I get to race, you know, when you own a track or a business, like you probably know, Jason, you don't get to race as much as you used to. You know, you work at the track all day long. The last thing you want to do is come home and work on your car. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I enjoy going to the Chili Bowl. I mean, it just, you get the time to spend and race and just relax a little bit and, you know, talk to people. 
Yeah, what I noticed too there is it's like you're you're always um, helping out you know several racers and you're kind of like not only are you got your racing going but then it seems like you also have a really good um, uh, sort of like you're you're really helping in the pits a lot you're like a really good pit guy there too. Um, yeah, I try we try to, and that's I think that just comes natural from you know being at the hobby store and stuff. You're always trying to help people out. You know, you want to make everybody else have fun and be successful too. Mm-hmm. It's that's part of the deal. If they're not having fun, then you know, they're not coming back to the track. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that uh, is kind of fun about uh, watching at the Chili Bowl, you know, I've been a couple years now, and just the difference in how the dirt oval racing qualifying works, and um. And even the mains, you know, the races are shorter in Dirt Oval there. Uh, they got the little pit lane, which I think is really cool. Um, it, it The the races and the qualifiers just have a really fun uh, factor to them with, uh, you know, you get a couple warm-up laps. You can come in, do your little pit if you want to make a change to the car, and then you roll them out, and then you're then you're racing. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's, that's part of the fun. I think, you know, one of my favorite parts about the Chili Bowl and some people may disagree about it is, you know, I like the Spectire. Mm-hmm. I know when I'm leaving here from Wisconsin and I'm going to the Chili Bowl, that these are the tires I'm running and everybody else is running them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's a big relief, especially when you're traveling or taking a week off, you know, uh, to go to a big race, you don't want to be chasing 14 different sets of tires, especially, you know, on a little bit looser surface. Right. Yeah, some of the worry. Everybody, everybody runs the same tire, so that's I, that's a big thing for me. I, you know, I really enjoy that. There was a race in California I wanted to go to, and for a sprint car, and I'm like, well, what's the tire? And they're like, it's open. I'm like, okay, I'm out. You're like, well, I'm out. <laughs> well, you know, I'm back going to somebody's home track that they know you run this tire and the sun's up, this tire when the sun's down, and it's just, uh, I, I'm not a big fan of it. That's all. Yeah. So uh, talking about uh, the the hobby shop and trackside, you mentioned right now you got some, uh, you know, you guys are doing some curbside pickup. You're doing some, you know, call ahead orders, uh, basically anything to uh, just service the customer uh, the way you can. And um, it, but in a normal situation, uh, how's it been being in the in the hobby shop business? I know you got a lot of help too. And uh, what's it like, kind of servicing? Uh, you know, the racer. And then even if there's maybe new people come in, how's that, that business um, uh, been to you over the years? Um, you know, at the beginning, it takes a little bit to get used to, you know, when you have to be on the, the retail side of it, for sure. Um, it's good. I, I enjoy it. I enjoy the people, um, you know, Gregory, you know, he manages the shop now. Um, Sarah started at the beginning when I, when I took over the shop and she did a great job. She was good with customers. Gregory's now in, in her spot and, uh, you know, dealing with the customers, it's, it's good. Um, you know, we're a race shop for sure. You know, we race, we don't sell a bunch of armas. We don't sell X maxes. We don't sell that stuff. Uh, we do sell tractor slashes and, and we focus on that, you know, we, uh, we have a class form and it's a great stepping stone class for people to get into racing. 
Do you, do you see anything else besides the slash that's uh, a sort of a successful, maybe a starter vehicle or starter car that people people ask for or, or that you recommend? Um, hmm. yeah, I'm going to say for me, no. You know, I we focus we focus solely on the two wheel drive slash mainly just because it's a cheap route to get people into racing. Uh, you know, people can come in and say they want to start racing. I feel guilty sometimes. You know, you, you don't feel, I don't want to feel guilty telling somebody, I don't want to sell somebody $1,500 of the stuff and they may never race again or, you know, they race twice. Yeah. You know, we always, you gotta, we always question the people. We know what their intentions are or what they're going to do. And, and we always push them towards the tracks that's flashed, the two wheel drive, just to get them, get their feet wet. And, uh, you know, it's a cheap price point. You know, now you can walk out the door for $267 and you have a slash and you can run mm-hmm. and you can race it. So. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like a, that sounds like a logical, you know, definitely a logical thing to do. Um, you know, there's tons and tons of vehicles out there and if you can be, you know, we can be really good at selling one and knowing everything about it, or you can have a hundred different vehicles and be okay at many things. Mm-hmm. So, um, that's just kind of the path we take and it seems to be working out real well for us. And, you know, it's gotta be easy with, or, or nice, uh, with the tracks slash for several things, because, uh, the parts and it's it like you said it's inexpensive it's the same it's never changing uh that's got to be a big plus to that platform i would imagine that's the biggest plus you know with you know how the hobby changes so much um you know tracks and slash has been the same for 12 years it hasn't changed yeah you know um you know associated will come up with something or low shield or tlr come up with something you know and try to compete with those guys and it never lasts. It it just doesn't. Yeah. You know, uh, the TLR stuff, they'll come out with some really good stuff and then often they'll kind of discontinue it and then you have people that have something and you can't get parts for it anymore. Yeah. You know, that, that's frustrating to people. Yeah, so there's something to be said for that longevity and that consistency with that, with that product. It's almost like the, uh, the industry standard entry level vehicle <laughs> which is it's, it's which is scary. standard which is scary when when you're somebody else trying to have something and and you know um and theirs is that successful i guess but yeah i mean the, the traxxas hooks on the wall have been in the same spot for the last 15 years <laughs> you're like front arms boom right there <laughs> yeah same spot they haven't moved yeah I've totally right sense. there, you know, where everything yeah. is. Yeah. Makes sense. I mean, oh. it's, that's good. We're, we're kind of looking, uh, God, he's kind of taking a look here for, uh, bumping around, checking out the questions. Uh, okay. cause we wanted to get to get to those two. Cause I know we have quite a few of them and a lot of your uh, buddies. And then there's some good serious ones too. What do do you remember what you finished at the uh, Trinity race at Megatrack? I believe I was a DMA and I think I finished tenth. <laughs> oh, he's way too good for you. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, 
I mean, I'll, I'll look up the results. I think I still have the magazine, and uh, nice. I'll, I'll confirm that. That's fine. And then I will look for your name also. That's in the it's in the P main P main first place. Did they did they go all the way down to the P in the magazine? <laughs> <laughs> I th- I think in competition plus they used to. Okay. Yeah, car actions definitely not. No no no. <laughs> yeah, they were like top ten, then they went to five, then they went to three. Pretty soon it was like man. Yeah yeah you had you had to go to competition plus if you wanted to get full results. But, for sure. Yeah. All right. Well, I was just wondering. That was my question. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Corey Richardson, Jamie, he asks, how do you create the culture at Trackside? I feel like, I feel like it one of the, I feel like it's one of the most close knit groups out there. Yeah. I was reading that one too. And I did, I was trying to figure out how to answer it, to be honest with you. Um, the culture at Trackside, has just always been there. And, you know, I don't know if it's, you know, probably starting from when Scotty, you know, Scotty was always very involved and very caring about everybody and just making sure everybody was having a good time. Mm -hmm. And it's just carried over since then. Um, I read that question a couple of times and I didn't, I didn't know how to answer it because it's, 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 it's just there. The culture's always been there. It's not clicky, you know, it's, it's just everybody is everybody hangs out and everybody's a good group well it also i mean i don't want to get stuck on one question but the the one thing i i thought of too is um you know you know during this time obviously live rc did a really nice thing for everybody in all the tracks um you know by doing this uh you know, this shirt supports the track. Maybe you can go talk a little bit about that as well, uh, Jamie, because I think this is kind of tied to that question a little bit that the culture's good there. But um, you guys are getting a lot of support uh, from what I understand. Other, you know, racers uh, supporting uh, during this time. And, and, um, and it, that doesn't come from by accident. Like, obviously, the relationships here are meaning a lot. And uh, maybe, maybe talk about that a little bit and the good thing that Brandon with Live RC was doing for the um, for the industry. Yeah, I mean, the thing that Brandon did, we'll start with that for sure. Um, I mean, that's something that uh, Brandon didn't have to do. You know, he didn't yeah. have to do any part of this. You know, it took a lot of time. You know, it, on our end, when we're looking at the computer, it doesn't look like it almost has somebody make shirts. But it takes a lot of time to do write this stuff up and you know come up with how you're going to do it and lobby the sponsors to you know help support the community. Mm-hmm. So Live RC, you know Brandon, Corey, and all them guys, they they stepped up. Yeah, you know, um, and it helped a lot of tracks for sure. I mean, you know, it, we got a lot of spot, you know, a lot of shirts sold. Um, you know, and it helped a ton. You know, and then the other end of it too is, you know, dispersing the money. Brandon had to go through and pretty much PayPal everybody that, you know, got got money individually. Yeah. So, you know, Brandon's got a, you know, Brandon has a great passion for the hobby for sure. And, you know, he's ventured in different things with the motocross stuff and he's got a vision for, you know, what he's doing. But his, his heart's still in the RC community for sure. He, mm-hmm. did, he did not expect what happened to happen. Yeah. 
I mean, I don't even know what it's at now. It was the last time it was. The last time I looked, I think it was 127,000. <clears throat> yeah, I think it's creeping up to 150 now. Okay. I mean, that's a lot of money. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And I mean, this is people. Yeah, this is people um, uh, coming in and, and uh, you know, adding some things to it. And then on top of that, uh, you know, the manufacturers, obviously, like you mentioned, stepping up and doing a matching uh, situation. And, uh, yeah, it's just been an amazing thing. And I guess what stood out to me uh, relates to that question, which was the fact that you guys have such a good relationship with a lot of your racers is um, they're showing and they're showing that support back, which has just been really nice to see. Um, yeah, a lot of my racers, you know, sh- all our racers showed a ton of support back on the, on the shirt thing. Um, in racers, family members and friends and, you know, everybody knows, you know, everybody wants to do a track center Friday night. If they're racing or not, they just want to hang out. But it's, it is, I mean, it's amazing to me and how much support we got in that, in that shirt sales. I mean, it blew me away. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's um, it's, it's, it's been really cool. This it's just been really cool to see. For sure, and so you know, our our local racers still have been supporting us. I mean, I got people sending me entry fee every week. Wow, that's great. <laughs> I mean, and I'm not talking just one person. I'm talking you know many. And at some point, I almost feel guilty, and they're like, "No, don't feel guilty." Yeah. You know, we want you to stay. We want, we want trackside where it's at. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's like, awesome. Well, you know, I appreciate that. And then, you know, send a PayPal for a little note or something like that, or, um, guys are making extra efforts, you know, oh, time for a new car kit. You know, we got a lot of support. So, and I'm very <laughs> proud of that. You know, that's the community we created over the years, you know, and, and you know, it makes you feel good. Yeah. Yeah, I would totally agree, and uh, just been a, it's been amazing to see that. So, uh, Gotti, what do we got next? Uh, can you talk about the difficulties tracks have when new cars are released, not knowing how, not knowing having old stock, etc. Yep, I'm reading this is Alejandro Vegas's question. Yep. If money were not were no object, what would your ideal RC facility be like? Location, track, etc. Oh well. This is one of my pet peeves lately. It's been the, the release of cars coming so fast. Um, I don't know how Jason feels about it, but we've talked about this on the pod. Out of it all, Jason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, cool. I'll, I'll, I'll I'll let you go, and then I'll, I'll have the okay. comment. <laughs> okay, I'm sure. <laughs> um, I guess you know with the new cars coming out, and so often, you know, my biggest difficulty is i mean how much inventory we put on the shelves you know uh, how much how much inventory you stock or new car comes out what are the new parts you need the hop-ups the different length bones um stuff like that it's we're a little fortunate because we have a lot of you know guys that are hardcore racers by us that so we know that you know what you're going to need but the path that it takes with the uh, cars coming out every, uh, what is it, a year and a half now, probably about. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Probably tougher for the, 
the smaller shops that are not as hardcore racers to, you know, keep up on the inventory or, or, uh, you know, keep up on what's changing. You know, when they came out and, and <laughs> I don't know, it's, it's a little frustrating on my end. Well, and yeah, what you can see is, and it's not just one, it's not, the problem is it's not just one company that you have to keep up with. Um, This is all tied, they're all tied together. So, uh, and they're all on different schedules. So it's like when, you know, if Associated's doing theirs every 18 months or two years or whatever the case may be, then you got in between them, you got TLR changing theirs. And then in between that, you got uh, X-Ray updating theirs. And then you got Yokomo and you got all these different companies. They're all kind of pulling for the same racers. And then all their cars are, uh, their release uh, schedules are all staggered. So there's always something new that's coming and then I was eliminating something else. Um, and yeah, then I mean, it, go ahead. the new car stuff is good. I mean, I, I, for a racer that races every week and a new car comes out in 18 months or 12, you know, 18 months, you know, he's due for a new car. That's mm-hmm. fine. He's okay with that. Yeah. But when I got a new racer that comes in and buys his brand new B6.1, and just starts racing and a week later the B6.2 comes out, for example, you know, that's, that's the hard part on our end. I feel. Um, Yes. It's hard to explain it. It's hard to explain it. Um, the change with the new associate car, not much. You can upgrade it. Awesome. Great. That was the best thing I heard. But, um, you know, that, that's the toughest part. And I, I feel for the tracks that are just trying to be tracks and have parts and have cars to try to keep up with what's going on in the, in the industry, you have to be a racer. You have to know what is going on. Otherwise you're just going to have walls full of dead inventory. Mm -hmm. You know, the biggest thing I think I'd like to see is where the manufacturers start to work with the hobby stores a little bit more in, you know, kind of keep them in the loop. But I see from their perspective that, you know, they don't want you to stop buying their old inventory or they don't want, you know, they got inventory they want to get rid of. You know, they're trying to keep sales going. They don't want to let you know that they're going to come out with a new car and not keep sales going. If that makes yeah. sense. Right. So I see both sides of it, but it's, it's very frustrating sometimes when all of a sudden there's a new car and you, you know nothing about it. You know, sometimes you and the team guys, a couple times, for instance, there were a couple of cars that came out that the team guys didn't even know anything about it. Yeah, it's happening quick. (laughs) And the other thing that makes me nervous about all the car changing so quick, that's where on-road was, and that's what made on-road's decline, I feel, where everything is just changing, changing, changing. Mm -hmm. And eventually people started to get a little bit, you know, frustrated. So that's the only thing that makes me nervous with all the change, everything changing so fast. Yeah, and I think think that's kind of where... You know, that's the only point I was going to add to it was that was the position that on-road was was uh, and touring car was in and still is today. And it's just kind of dwindled itself down to where it's only the most hardcore guys left. There's really nobody new getting into it. Yeah. And the other thing, too, is, you know, 
with the new cars, so so say, you know, the new car list comes out, the new car, you know, a few years back, we'll call it three years. Um, the price point to the cars, they were reasonable yet. That was the big yeah. savior on the off-road side of it. You know, a new buggy was two ninety nine. Yeah. Where an on-road car was five forty-nine, mm-hmm. but now you know the off-road side it's starting to creep up too. Mm-hmm. You know, what is a what does a buggy cost now? Uh, Three forty, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's starting to become a little bit more expensive on that side. The savior before was that the car prices were cheaper. That's how I feel, I guess. <laughs> no, you can see, yeah, yeah. That's I mean, it's totally reasonable. <clears throat> so what what ends up happening is since the the uh, the timeline on these cars is shorter. The price is going up, so they can pay for themselves. And but um, and then uh, the customer has to pay for those changes, quicker updates. But it's just touring car. I mean, that's how touring car went. Mm-hmm. I mean, the heyday of touring car was the TC three days. the The car was you know somewhat was a lot of plastic parts. It was good, you know, it was still quick and a competitive car, but that was probably the the heyday. Yeah, I mean, then, you know, X-Ray started coming in and they were kind of a big player on new technology change and stuff all the time, different perspective, for sure. But then, just like anything, everybody starts chasing everybody. So. Yeah, and, um, yeah, I agree. Yeah, I, th- I think ev- I think everyone's kind of on the same page there, and there's not a, an easy fix to it, um, unfortunately. Other than you know, um, you know, some type of mandated timing of of releases. Um. Yeah, I mean, if someone could agree on that, I think it would be good for racers and hobby stores. So people were prepared. Pre- be able to prepare for you know i'm gonna buy a new car or stuff like that but making that happen i think would be virtually impossible so we're gonna uh dip back in there here's just one comment jim tollard was just like not a question but thank you for everything you guys do for us we appreciate all the work you guys put in and he's ready to get back to racing so that was a kind of a good comment from jim uh, we got Reed asking, uh, let's get the oval crew together and get the oval done at Deuce and uh, make one fifth scale grade in Wisconsin. Yeah, we got an oval track at our outdoor track, a big oval track. And a group of guys that got the fifth scale, the scale oval cars. I don't know if you've ever seen them go around. Oh, man, it's got to be insane. <laughs> they, got a, they got a good fun factor, but they're uh, they're big. That's for sure. The one thing I was telling somebody is I got a chance to drive uh, one at the Nitro Challenge one year, and it was the only RC car I've ever driven when I crashed. I could feel it. <laughs> yeah, you feel the ground. You feel the ground and stuff. Like, because the car's like flipping, and you can actually feel it crashing. Jeez, can you imagine me driving one of those? Ooh, a P Main would not be safe. Be a, uh, it, you know, Richter scale would go off in California. <laughs> for sure hey now <laughs> we got uh, uh, Greg Gregory said uh, you grew up racing at trackside and have always been passionate uh, is this where you anticipated your life going or were there other plans you would pursue 
had this opportunity not arose? Um, I can't say that I seen myself owning trackside. Um, I mean, I've always seen myself racing. Um, just the opportunity came to take it over and I took it. Uh, he was also asking if he had any regrets. Uh, no regrets yet. Okay. I mean, can't ask. I enjoy it. I enjoy it wholeheartedly. I mean, I don't get to race as much as I used to. I mean, I raced for a long time, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, now it's, it's my time to make sure other people get to race and have a place to race at. And then the way I look at it, I'll sacrifice that. And then another addition here is what's, is there anything you're doing in the future to improve on the facility or program that you already have? Is there, I guess, anything to look forward to there? I guess maybe that's something you already talked about. You're working on new tracks and layouts inside already right now. Um, yeah, I mean, my goal, you know, the building we're in now, we don't own. I guess my goal would be to, you know, purchase a building at some point and then just kind of lay it out the way, well, you know, a little bit more than what we have. So. And then we got, uh, he's basically, he's also just stating and then what makes it all worth it to you in the end? Um, I just enjoy it. I really do. You know, I enjoy racing. Um, enjoy all the people. Um, I don't even know how to add on to that. Actually, it's just it's what I do. I've always done it. You know, it's always been RC racing. <clears throat> no NASCAR racing, no watching NASCAR or anything. It's always RC. If I'm at home. I'm watching live RC. To be honest, I'm a full RC racer too. Like, um, when people talk about tracks and, you know, motocross, supercross, I'm like, you know what? I said, I'm an RC racer. And for me, I always want, like, I always see racing through the RC eyes. I don't watch RC racing through real car racing eyes. I watch racing through RC eyes. And uh, because that's always what I've done. And that's what I've always thought of. So even when I, if I happen to watch real racing or anything, I always compare it to RC. Like I'm always like, well, I wish I could see it a little different. Cause I'm, you know, cause I'm always, I want that RC perspective. And uh, so anyway, it's just kind of funny um, having that. We think alike. Yeah. Having that connection. Um, we got Jake saying that he, he thinks your beard looks awesome. And the yep. tracks, the tracks. I haven't tracks. shaved since the. I haven't shaved since the start, since the COVID nineteen closing. And he's uh, he misses the trackside family, of course. And uh, where does where do you see uh, RC racing in five years? And if you could bring one thing back, and have it be permanent figure in racing. Basically, that means if you could bring back a track, a person, a kit, a motor, a battery. And uh, so it's kind of multi-part. Um, that's kind of a tough question. Um, I'm kind of stuck on it, to be honest with you. Um, five years. I mean, the technology, how much farther can we go in the technology side of it? Uh, how much better can tires be? I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to be honest, I can't answer that. I don't know what to see in five years. 
mean, so is that how, something you could answer, Jason? <laughs> Would you be able to answer that? No, um, probably not. I mean, I, I can. I've, I've taken a shot at it here and there, but we'll we'll go on to these these ones. Is there, if there's a one thing you could have back? As if, if it's a track, a person, a kit, motors, batteries, what one thing would you like to kind of reinstall, I guess? Um, for me, man, you could bring back the B4. That thing was around forever. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's probably a popular thing to say. Permanent figure in racing, for sure. Um, you know, for me, I think, you know, Joel Johnson would be cool. That was... if. I could bring him back into racing. He was always, you know, my era of racing. He was always the one to look up to and, you know, like the, the icon of racing. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? That's Scotty's that's boy. Yep. So, you know, that was, uh, that was a cool time when, when he was always, when you seen Joel Johnson, you're like, whoa. <laughs> back then, I mean, there was two fast people. Yeah. You know, now you walk into the Roar Nats and you're like, oh my God. <laughs> it was deep. Any one field. of these guys could win. The deep field. It's very deep. So. Uh, John Bolton made a just kind of a comment that if you had ever heard of this, I was, I'm kind of rearranging the question, but um, about maybe being able to partner with Traxxas a little more to, to push that spec slash class and i know we're way past you know we're way past when the slash came out and when the the um when it was just a crazy frenzy but have you ever heard anything about um partnering with traxis or has there been any uh thing you ever thought about or heard about there um for us partnering with you know partnering with them no is traxis a big supporter of trackside absolutely yeah um you know we do Twice a year, we do a 500 lap enduro at trackside with Traxxas slashes only stock spec. Wow! Mm-hmm. And they always they step up. You know, I put a pit lane in, three drivers. They got to change batteries, and uh, I put a pit lane in so they come in for a pit stop. And Traxxas always been real supportive. They'll send door prizes, you know, a couple of car kits, and always always help us out. Great. So, and like we touched base on before, you know, we've we really push the two wheel drive slash just to get people into racing. Yeah. Cause once they, you know, start to run around the track or maybe race on a Tuesday or Friday night, you know, and we tell them out of the gate, you know, this, this two wheel slash is, it's going to be good. Mm-hmm. You know, when you get to the next level, it's only going to be able to be so competitive, but at that point they're having fun and then they make their, you know, their purchase, they buy their, you know, their 6.1 or, you know, their, their low C car. So, um, so as far as partnering with Traxxas, you know, we kind of do, we just, that's what we do on the, on the beginner side of stuff. Indirectly, I guess. <laughs> Good to know. And I think that kind of answers that. And then, uh, Kyle Gannon just said that, uh, just want to tell you guys, thanks. He, he loves racing there. Um, we got Chris Trudeau, uh, I was a big supporter even here of the podcast. Uh, he's asking to describe your model racer. What makes a good track ambassador and or ideal track attendee? My idea of a good track attendee. <laughs> hmm. huh. um, someone who doesn't 
wait to register five minutes before racing. Oh. <laughs> Someone who always corner marshals. Yeah. And uh, this is probably my biggest. Someone who takes the time to set their car aside and help somebody else out. Mm-hmm. Or take a shot off their spare car to, so someone can race. Or, you know, if they break in warm-ups, be the first one over the wall to help them. Yeah. That's my my ideal, you know, perfect racer. Perfect things. Um, he was also asking, have you ever had to ban anyone or politely ask them to leave? <laughs> huh? Um, by us, no. We did have one altercation and it was a practice night, believe it or not. Okay. Um, a couple guys were flapping their lips on the driver's stand and the one guy slapped his lips to the wrong guy and he had him in a headlock. Oh, <laughs> okay. So, um, so we just said, Hey, you guys need to take a break and, you know, just go away for a while. And they went away and eventually they came back and everything was good. Okay. Not too much controversy by us, really. Uh, we got Matt Wilbert. What's the most difficult thing and the best thing during this quarantine for a track? The most difficult time for us right now is just not having racing and not being to see all the people that we see every week. Yeah. You know, um, being in the hobby is a, it's a sometimes it's not even about racing. You know, people come to the track just to hang out and not even race. It's about the socialization, talking, hanging out. That's the that's the toughest part for me, honestly. You know, I'm kind of going crazy. You know, it's usually you're used to 120 people in your life for for 12 hours a day. Yeah. And now it goes down to to nothing. Um, the yeah, second part of that question, I guess, is uh, you know we get to rethink some things. We're making some changes at the track. We get a little time to honestly. I got time to do a couple of things that I wanted to get done. You know, personally. That'd be the best thing of, you know, coming out of this. Mm-hmm. I thought this was a funny question. Lee Connolly Jr. If you eat some trail mix out of another racer's bag, but leave a thank you note, do you consider that stealing? <laughs> I do not consider it stealing because I left a thank you note. Perfect. <laughs> Time is... Got the... Uh, I don't know if Gotti, if you see the we got Dave here that said Jam Ten and G Ten. They they make me want to be a better man. I don't know what that means. I'm guessing that's a uh, probably me and Gregory. That is one of the was it Dave Chanel? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he's one of the Canadian guys. They the guys from Canada would come down to the for the Associated Race for the last two or three years. They okay. bring like twelve of them. And they would drive down every year. And they always had a really, really good time. Um, unfortunately, last year, they lost their track up there. So when you lose a track, most of the guys kind of just sold their stuff and dispersed. And I think only one of the guys came down this last year. I don't even know if one of them came down. He was going to, but I don't think he could make it. So just one of the racers that came and raced uh, for the last couple of years at the associate race. And uh, from Canada. And he's always like, what do you want from Canada? You want some... Well, they call them nips. You know, that's the full length. Usually, nips are little cut off liquor. Oh, right? yeah, yeah. But right. they have the full length ones in Canada called nips. Mm. You get them in one big long piece. And I always tell them I either want nips or Shania Twain. 
<laughs> and you're like, uh, I've had enough nips. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know, Gotti, if you want to take this last one from Jerry while I kind of, I'll look up and see what I got for uh, my personal. But Jerry wanted a long one. I don't know if I'll even be able to answer that one. Yeah, this is crazy. Stealing from the late, great James Lipton. What is your favorite word? I guess we'll take uh, that. Probably buddy. Buddy? Yeah. I'm always like, hey, buddy. Hey, buddy. Okay. What is your least favorite word? I don't know if I have a least favorite word. Uh, we're going to pass on that one. What turns you on? Oh, boy. <laughs> Gotti Jr. Huh? <laughs> That'd be weird. Um, we'll keep it clean and, you know, good day of racing. There you go. <laughs> Chase is laughing at me. What, what's, what's that? <laughs> Good enough. Uh, what turns you off? Bad day of racing. Yeah. What sound or noise do you love? Jeez. Um. Sound of racers. Racing. Uh, probably in nitro racing. Nitro A scale. There's nothing better than. Yeah. Nitro, big heat of nitro A scale guys racing, coming in for fuel, elbowing each other in pit lane because they don't have enough room. <laughs> I agree, man. I love eight scale nitro. Yeah. Can never race it, but I, I love watching it. A lot of strategy. Um, what sound or noise do you hate? Probably silence. Me too. I have to always have a fan running at night when I'm sleeping. And a TV yep. on. What about you, Jason? Oh, man. Do you I, have to I have the TV lie. on at night when you're sleeping? No. I do. I have to have it I don't on. think Jason Rona sleeps. I, de- I definitely I definitely get my fair share of sleep, but I, I got a lot of things that would bother me, so that would take a long. All right. <laughs> well, the- That's a whole nother show. <laughs> <laughs> what is your favorite curse word? <laughs> God, you got it. How could you answer that? Is it? It's definitely the F bomb. All right, here you go. Uh, what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Um, what profession other than I do now? Yep. Um, I think I would like to be a, a police officer. Hmm. Okay. I always found that a little intriguing. Yeah, I, yeah. I did too. When I was a kid, I was, uh, you know. I wanted to be a cop, acted like I was a cop when I was a little kid. I used to stand outside the by the road there, and the cars would go by, and I have a sign that would say, slow down. Is that goofy? I don't know, it's just like, because I'm, I'm nosy, and I want to be in other people's business. That but too. The turn off yeah. about being a police officer is blood. <laughs> no <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Or smells. What do, you think, what do you think of that, Jason? I used to try to get people to slow down by my road there. I, I probably had a little badge and everything. I mean, is that pretty weird I'm or what? I didn't pick you up for impersonating <laughs> police officer. That was a weird kid. Come with me, kid. Come with me, kid. Yeah. Uh, what profession would you not like to do? Probably like a mortician or anybody that has to deal with death or smell. Oh, hell yeah. That'd be the crazy. smell thing is, that's what turned me off about the police stuff is just, um, you know, it would probably be nice to be a, a police officer and help people out. The bad stuff that you get to see. 
Yeah. I, I, I don't have the stomach for it. Yeah. If uh, heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? <laughs> Your race is up. <laughs> very bold. Very bold of him to you're assume that you're going to heaven. Yeah, that's the first thing of going to heaven. Um, <laughs> I'm probably glad you can make it. Yeah. <laughs> Good job. Yeah. I was worried about you. Glad you could make it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's like, you were on the fence, but yeah. Yeah. we went ahead. Wasn't looking good. Hey, we had a I question. Just, we had a question earlier for Jason, uh, Jamie. Uh, let's see if I have that. Right. It was um, concerning the drivers from back in the 80s and 90s. Do you think they could make the easy? Do you think they could make the transition from 80s, 90s to today's off-road type racing? Um, no. <laughs> you older drivers, you saying like guys older, like Jason and me, or yeah. What I what I what I are we, talking, are we talking age or are we talking the skill level from the eighties nineties to now? Well, here's what he here's what he sent into the show. The the, the the discussion on the wait a minute here. Hold on. This is it. Yeah, the discussion on the internet. Uh is whether the 80s and 90s drivers can race today. Many think they are they would not be able to handle today's competition and the size of today's tracks. So guys I mean, if they had to come from if they had to come from the 80s like yeah, just, hop in a transport bubble and come to 2020? Yeah. No way. Okay. No. I mean, you've seen some of the old world videos the jumps are like if you had jumps like that now, people would be like, are you kidding? Yeah. <laughs> Where's the jumps? <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, the talent of the off-road guys have the young, all these young guys, it, it, you watch them, it's like, you can't believe what they can do. You know, everybody, you know, puts their work in. Everything, everybody, everything now is a lot more serious. You know, people are, you know, obviously getting paid to do it and they got to perform and, practicing weekly, you know, by, you know, three times, four times a week. Mm -hmm. So a lot different culture than what we had in the eighties and nineties. So, um, kind of going into the future here, when are you looking forward to, um, you know, kind of getting back to racing and when do you think things will, um, you know, kind of start to smooth out a little and maybe kind of get back to, um, maybe some normalcy and what do you see yourself doing then? And then, uh, any races you're looking forward to attending besides your own? Um, I mean, honestly, I mean, I think, you know, the summer is going to be end the summer before normalcy. I think, you know, yeah. even if they open the tracks back up, I think, you know, some people are going to be a little hesitant to come back. I mean, I got a lot of people that are itching to come back, but I, I believe in Wisconsin that they're going to slowly, you know, let us do it. And by that time it's going to be, you know, August, um, you know, and then right around the August time is when we start looking forward, you know, getting the, come get the associated race stuff ready. Cause that comes up quick. <clears throat> so I guess, you know, we're going to look forward to fall and, you know, do what we can in the, in the fall. Um, I mean, it's a so huge, on, 
that's a huge swing, right? I mean, you think about when, I mean, it's almost like a, we're in a time warp, right? Because it's like, if you're already talking about the fall uh, to kind of get getting back to normal, I mean, that's we're missing a solid chunk of this year, aren't we? There's a lot of races that are getting, you know, yeah, it is. Yeah. For sure. You know, in Wisconsin, and it's different wherever else you go, you know, summertime indoor RC tracks, as soon as the end of April, we do our last race, it's crickets. Right. You know, it's just people in Wisconsin want to go outside for three months of the year that they can. Yeah. But now with all this stuff going on, you know, I, I don't know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, you almost just got to work through it. You know, people want to come and race. I know that. And maybe once we start to race again here in the next month, it might maybe it'll be a better summer than we've had in the previous years. So, you know, our, our focus right now is probably, you know, we're redoing the indoor track, like we said, but uh, also put the new layout on the outdoor track for eight scale stuff. And we're probably going to lean more that way because I think we're going to have more leniency with the racing out there because we can spread out more. You know, we can have more people in a bigger area and it's outside. You know, is, you know, I don't know, maybe if I didn't realize it or something, but where exactly is the outdoor track located? Uh, our outdoor track is probably, it's about 15 minutes north of where we're at. Okay. It's on a separate piece of property that I lease out. Okay, I was just making sure I didn't miss it. <laughs> like when I was there, yeah, I'm like downtown Brookfield. <laughs> I'm like making sure. Yeah, it's a big. It's like a six-acre piece of property. We have a you know the off-road track on it, and then we have a the oval track, and you know we do a couple campouts during the summer and stuff, and it's it's fun. Good news. So I mean, we did the outdoor track. That's uh, our fourth year. Um, it was pretty much just a. Uh, something to supplement you know our summer income a little bit because summer like i said indoor it's it's cut it's like a lot 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 silver but we did the outdoor track and that you know brought a lot of you know a lot of attention um usually weekly we'll get you know 60 70 guys and yeah that's good on a saturday so plus i think the people um what's nice is i think it keeps interest in racing because if you race 10 scale buggy 12 months of the year, you probably get burnt out a little bit. It gives somebody, it gives these guys a little bit more excitement to do something different or try, you know, change the, change the pace. Yeah. I like when they say like, Oh, you know, it's time for nitro season or, you know, I, I like when I hear people talking about that and they get excited. Like you said, they, they're trained, they transition from one to the other. Is it like that in Florida or do a scale racers race a scale and 10 scale racers race 10 scale? It's pretty much split. Yeah, there's that was what was always weird for me being here is there is no season. It's it's just it's the same thing all year round. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, 10 scale guys pretty much do 10 scale and 8 scale do 8 scale. It's kind of interesting. Yeah, I mean, here it's it's different than that. You know, it's 10 scale guys buy their 8 scales and race, you know, outside if they can in the summer. So. Yeah, it's neat. I, I oh, like which that. Is good. It's good for us. It's good for, you know, it keeps interest in the hobby for sure. It keeps everything from going stale. Yeah, totally. Well, you want to um, kind of give a shout out to your, you know, maybe your supporters, uh, family and uh, 
know, racers, oh, sure. family, I mean, and then uh, we'll kind of we'll kind of um, ease know, our way out. Obviously, I want to thank everybody at the track. You know, well, Gregory just takes care of all the ordering, all that stuff, and the right family. You know, they help us out there. All the guys that helped me out, um, Brian Yeager. There's so many people. Um, I mean, we couldn't do what we do without all these people that help us. I mean, yeah. It's and that's what makes us successful. Is everybody steps up and and helps us. And then, uh, in terms of uh, anybody else you would like to thank, or just um, in terms of maybe. Uh, I don't know if you have any racing sponsors or any connections or just anybody else in the um, the business that helps you out and we'll kind um, of wrap it up. You know, obviously, you know, Jay Concepts, you guys always take care of us when we need to move our big events. You know, Allison is great. Um, you know, Brandon Rody at Live RC and Corey for doing the shirt thing. That was huge for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said before, they didn't have to do that. It's but they did, you know, so hopefully when the time comes and we're back racing and, you know, people remember that and maybe, you know, sign up and do the membership and help them back out. You know, they don't have nothing going on right now either. So hopefully it does a full circle. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. So. Okay. But I, I mean, that's about it for right now. Good to know. And um, I don't know, is there anything there, Gotti, that you wanted to, comment on no, we'll just uh we'll say uh, hello to kirby hand for you no i appreciate that and then i will look up the results from uh, megatrack i was just gonna say uh, and go ahead and try and find those results uh p main first place i'm sure that first place that i got in the p main was a was probably a pretty damn good run that would have probably qualified me in the you know a or b or something like that you must add an a main run in there somewhere I, 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 absolutely right there it was p main first place so go look up that and I guess, you know, I, the other thing I'd like to, if I can, you know, I want to thank all the guys and everybody that supports us at the shop too. Like we talked about earlier, everybody stepped up during the times and I mean, all the racers stepped up. So I'd like to thank everybody that supports us at the track for sure. Oh, That's yeah. huge. We wouldn't be where we're at with all our racers. So. Yeah, it is really cool to see all, everybody step up like this and help everybody out. So, um, you don't realize it until something like this happens how much people care and, you know, are willing to help. So pretty cool. For sure. All right. Well, we appreciate it, Jamie and, um, good luck. And it's definitely nice to see a, uh, nice successful track, uh, such as you have. And, uh, we'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. I appreciate you guys having me on. All right, Jamie, take care. Appreciate it. All right. All right. Talk to you soon guys. Thanks. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Great interview there. One of uh, Kirby Hand's friends, Jamie Tenney's. I thought those two raced against each other, but uh, I guess for Jamie's sake, he's lucky he didn't race against Kirby Hand. <laughs> All right, Jason, what do you got? Yeah, we were talking about earlier, just uh, something I was kind of going to do here is uh, when I when I can, trying to put together any of the information I can, but... Uh, just want to do a YouTube video where I kind of talk about my experience from the 95 worlds. Oh, okay. So that was the first worlds 
I attended as a, as a driver. So I was going to kind of, um, kind of do a little story time. We'll tell a little story about, uh, you know, my racing experience there. And so that'll probably be one of our next, if not our, our, our next video will be, will be that. So I like it. I just, you know, that's kind of why I'm, you know, going back and watching some of these old DVDs and videos just to kind of make sure I kind of have some of some things together that maybe I already thought I knew or just a refresher. Mm-hmm. That'd be cool. Yeah. You know, trying to get, you know, there's some things that I've been writing a few things down and just making some notes. And so when I kind of get to that, I can kind of set the stage a little, um, kind of what position the, the industry was in and, and, you know, kind of where we were going at that time and talk about that race a little bit and kind of my, just my full experience of doing it. And, um, so that's kind of, we're working on that. Cool. Just finished, uh, you know, we've been, we've been busy and, you know, just trying to participate in these different genres of racing and having the different items available ready and and then also talking about uh you know doing some of these youtube videos that i've you know wanted to do and getting them out there yeah now you have some time and uh get this stuff yeah done. i mean yeah trying to use some of this extra time we have uh you know wisely yeah i like what everybody's doing now you know like uh, the facebook live videos and uh, all the drivers doing them uh it's pretty cool all right, Jason, don't forget this weekend is Mother's Day. Yeah, good point. So happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. Mm-hmm. guess you can't really do much. You can't go out to restaurants or anything. Well, I guess in Florida you can, you were saying, but uh, not up here. Yeah. Um, and, and you got a race. You got the Super Cup this weekend. Mm-hmm. And what else you got going on? Anything else in there? <clears throat> That's it at the moment. Yeah. Just trying to get into the office myself and Allison and getting some stuff done and um, doing as much of that as we can. Well, it has given you a little bit more time to work on all those projects. Oh, and, yeah. And, well, uh, it's It's been a great opportunity, you know, not doing some of these large events to just kind of consistently week after week, being able to kind of knock off things on the list that I wanted to do. Um, so yeah, it's been, it's been good. All right. And that was episode two ten, And we thank, uh, Jamie for being on show from trackside hobbies and, uh, appreciate you guys tuning in and send us messages and, uh, questions. Good stuff, man. And yeah, um, I, I bumped into some prizes today that I had to send out. So we got those out. Yeah. Let's catch up on those something. before we send any more out, which we are now, right? I think so. Yeah. We're, we're, we're getting pretty caught up. There's a couple more. I had questions about. To, I'm still waiting uh, on. So if you're a patron of the show over at patreon.com slash radio impound, check your messages in there. Uh, you could download the app on your phone. That's really easy. Then it'll pop up and let you know when you have messages. And that's what I do. I contact you guys through there. Uh, it uses your uh, email that you signed up with or whatever. And uh, like I said, if you download the app, it's a lot easier. Put it on, put the Patreon app on your phone. It'll give you a notification when you get a message from me. 
you're able to go in there and read it see that you want a prize send me your address in there and we get the stuff out to you so but you got to check there or listen to the show and you hear your name we get people that say hey i heard my name on the show cool and we send them out a prize so yeah, I mean, we still got this Mayfield Chuggy body we gave away with a wing and something else. That oh, yeah, I got to look up that name for you. And then uh, somebody hasn't quite claimed or got that one uh, finished yet. Um, there's a couple other little things, but, you know, we've sent out a ton of stuff. Yeah. And we appreciate that. All the people that support the show and, and, and Jason, you giving us the prizes. Awesome stuff, man. I appreciate it. No problem. And I want to thank Jason. People, you know what people do? Some of our fans, they go over to carpies.com and they order the official Radio Impound podcast apparel from there. You can you can order a hat, you can order uh t-shirts, anything, decals, anything you can think of. You want the Radio Impound logo on there. Go over to carpies.com. He could do it for you. And we're going to get Derek on the show. Derek wants to be on the show, and uh, we're getting Kirby on at the same time, though, because those guys are oval guys. Oh, okay. Yeah. Good. So, uh, com, and we, we had a listener, uh, Kyle Donaldson, sent me a photo. He, he loves the shirt, loves the podcast. He thanked us for everything that we do. Um, he appreciates the podcast, sent us a picture of him wearing the shirt, and he has his name on the back of the shirt. It's a, it's a nice shirt, awesome shirt, com. if you want to get some rip gear, decals, whatever. There you go. So thank you. Good. We'll All right. Episode 210 in the books. We'll catch you on the next one. And I uh, hope everybody stays safe out there. And again, happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. Yes, you put it succinctly. Succ what? Succinctly. It means perfectly. Oh, yeah. Man, I do that. <laughs>